Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hi, Tim and Catherine. This is Natalie. Um, I live in California. I'm calling because I've been listening to your show since the beginning. It was uh, kind of an emotional refuge for me in the beginning of the pandemic when the NBA shut down and I started working from home and things got really scary. And now, um, you know, knowing that we're getting to the episode where you're going to talk about the vaccine that's actually being deployed to patients in the UK and hopefully in the US soon, it just, it feels like a milestone. So I thought it would be worthwhile to leave you a voice message to tell you that it's been really fun to be on this journey with you, especially as you both acquired puppies. I also acquired a puppy. My puppy is named Pug Pug, and I'll let you guess what kind of dog he is. All right. Thank you guys for everything. Bye. Jim? Hi, Catherine. Hey. That was a really lovely voicemail. Thank you to Natalie. It was so nice. Yeah. German Shepherd? This is also our 99th episode. That is many. So many. Anyway, it is a milestone today because the vaccine is out. Yes. When Natalie left us the message, no one in the U.S. had gotten it. Today, when we were recording, people are getting it. Yes, yes. It's here. It is here. My own father is getting it this week. What? Yeah. Oh my God, are you thrilled? It's a it's very much a relief. How is he getting it? He he's a he's a dentist. He he's working, you know, right up in people's mouths. Right. And so that's a very high risk profession and uh yeah, it's a great news. Oh my god. How does that make you feel? It's a big weight off of uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to seem <laughs> I don't know. It's a relief. You don't want to seem what? Well, I'm, I think we're very fortunate that my family has been uh, healthy through all this, and we've lost 300,000 people. So I, I, I think uh, the fact that healthcare workers will be able to do their jobs, you know, without that fear looming over their head, and then, you know, that extends to their families and their communities, that it's a very real thing in this moment. Yeah. So the Pfizer vaccine is out. I just saw um, there's news that the Moderna vaccine, which is easier to distribute because it doesn't have to be kept as cold, could be approved by Friday by the FDA. Yeah. The, the, the question I have is when we hear things like that, when it's like it will be approved by Friday, well, if they know it's going to be approved by Friday, why isn't it, why isn't it approved today? Like, <laughs> what needs to happen between Tuesday and Friday? I, we've done 99 episodes. I forget sometimes what. I've talked about, but did did I dream this or did we do something about Dante and the Inferno? <laughs> Where uh, I was the poet Virgil leading you through the levels of Yeah, hell. I think I think we cut that. So if you need uh, I think that was something you said and we just cut it cuz it was too weird. So yeah, but go ahead. What do you okay. have to say about the Inferno? <laughs> well, after that book, you know, that was his big hit, but then he did a sequel called Purgatory, uh, yeah. where you, there are also different levels, as I recall. There are different it's, levels to Purgatory? Yeah. I didn't realize that. I thought <laughs> Purgatory was like a giant waiting room. 
Yeah, at least in his telling of it. Um, there's three books. There's there's uh, Inferno, there's Purgatorio and Paradiso, and obviously it's super interesting to see people, you know, suffering, and it's super interesting to see people in paradise. But the Purgatorio, you know, not a big hit. So <laughs> a lot of logistical questions like what you're asking about right now, which are super important in terms of getting to Paradiso, mm-hmm. which I'm happy to address and be the Virgil for. So I am trying to set the stakes here for this sort of purgatory that we're in. Got it. Um, because it could sound a little a little low stakes. Like I watched the entire FDA authorization meeting last Thursday. This is a, a committee of about a baker's dozen infectious disease experts and epidemiologists who do not work for the FDA but have been recruited to mm-hmm. vet the, the data. Y- you could watch it all play out on YouTube in real time, and then they voted at the very end. So you can actually um, watch this purgatory unfold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it was. It was a on really YouTube. long day for me, even though I knew the stakes. And there were only like 5,000 people watching this at any given time, which... Well, yeah, you know, I assume it's not high drama. It is, though. It's super high stakes. Um, high stakes, but... Well, tell me what what happened. Like, what are the things they're talking about? You know, it's an open dialogue. The public is welcome not just to watch, but to participate. They take public comment. Mm -hmm. They mean to have this all be extremely transparent. Mm -hmm. But then that also means you go off on a lot of digressions. Someone calls in or someone raises a question about some theory they have about what's really causing Mm -hmm, COVID. mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's not great entertainment. But that has to happen in order for the FDA to make their approval. So FDA has released the documents that are going to go before that committee, and they look really promising with Moderna. But the vote has to, the, you know, the Got it. The public okay, so they have to have a long actually... discussion where people can weigh in with their crackpot theories or whatever. And <laughs> then, and know, their okay. legitimate theories. Yeah, and their that's legitimate really important theories. to the process. So what you're saying, Jim, is the next couple of, like this week, the next couple of months, as we're waiting for this vaccine, it's kind of like purgatory. But purgatory has different levels in it. And we might have some questions about what exactly purgatory is going to feel like and look like and who gets to leave purgatory when. So that's what we're going to do today. Yeah. So I've been looking at the FDA and some of the questions surrounding the vaccine. Our colleague Sarah Zhang, staff writer at The Atlantic, has also been doing this in an even more focused way than I have. And she knows a ton about it. And it would be really helpful if she would talk to us and help us answer some questions. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Pretty good. Not bad. Not too bad. Not too bad? I'll take that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sarah, not to get to the point too quickly, though, the vaccine. Yeah. It's here. Is it? For some people. For who? For healthcare workers, for nurses and and janitors who are in the rooms of patients. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I actually got a little emotional, like watching the first trucks coming out of the factory. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, I never thought I would feel a little emotional seeing UPS and FedEx trucks. (laughs) I know, I know. I felt the same way. It's just been such a long process. For much of the year, as I was reporting on vaccines, I was really just trying to tamp down people's expectations because all the scientists I was talking to were saying, 
we don't know how the vaccine might be, how effective the vaccine might be. It might only be 50%. So it's going to take a long time to manufacture and distribute and so on and so on. All of these th reasons that we should not put too much hope in vaccines. And then the results came out and they were so good, like, right, 95% effective. It was just like much better than anyone really expected. And now they are finally on the road and making it into people's arms. And they really feels like the beginning of the end. It does. But it's such a sort of weirdly poignant moment, too, because it's the beginning of what will be an incredibly long end. Yeah, it's like this weird in-between time where people are still getting sick of COVID. Some people are getting vaccinated. Other people don't know when they're getting vaccinated. And we've adjusted to that kind of pandemic normal. And now we're about to go through this another period of, of flux uh, where we're not really sure what to do. Right, right. And who knows how long that will last even. Okay, well, that's, I guess that's what we want to talk to you about today, <laughs> to ask you to describe purgatory for us. Um, so maybe we could just start with the basics, which I think, you know, if you've been listening to the the basic news, we understand this, but, you know, what is the order in which people get it? Yeah, so the very first priority group is healthcare workers and people in long-term care facilities, uh, basically nursing homes. Um, and there's sort of like obvious justifications for that, right? Mm -hmm. if, if healthcare workers get sick, of course, like no one's going to get care. So right. Healthcare workers, that totally makes sense. Uh, Long-term care facilities, they have been the site of 40% of the deaths with COVID. Right. So getting everyone in those facilities vaccinated, that will probably do a lot to drive down, you know, the number of people who are dying of COVID. Right. Um, so that's who's getting vaccinated now. Mm -hmm. How long does that phase last? Yeah, it's probably going to last through the end of this year and probably at least part of January. Okay, so that's that's now. What happens in, you know, mid-January? Yeah, so at that point, hopefully we can get to the next group. Uh, we don't know exactly who it will be yet um, because the CDC advisory committee that decides this has yet to kind of formally vote on this, but they have suggested that it will be essential workers. Um, and that is a really nebulous category. Right. So the CDC committee gets to make recommendations, but what you actually do <laughs> is up to the states and in some ways almost like literally up to the person who's giving the vaccine. So states will probably get to decide who they think are essential workers in their state. Oh, so like if you're a cashier in one state, the next state over, like you may or may not getting, get it depending on which state you're in? Yeah, exactly. So that will probably be really confusing and probably <laughs> could go wrong with that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, right. Uh -huh. I mean, you're already starting to see this, right? Like you're going to have a lot of interest groups and industries trying to lobby their state governments, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about uh, teachers? Are they in that group? Yeah, so um, the CDC committee has put teachers in that group. Um, but again, it's going to be up to states to decide. But any state who doesn't put them in that group is wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think schools and teachers should be a huge priority. We had a listener named Karen. She wrote in and asked, I've been reading a lot about the order in which vaccines will be distributed. Haven't heard any mention of prisoners. They're at high risk, given close quarters. When will they get the vaccine? Yeah, that's a great question. I was just looking at the state plans earlier today, and I think Massachusetts might be the one state that has actually put prisoners in the first group. Mm, so most states are not, huh? Yeah, most states are not. If you're just talking about who is at risk for COVID, 
obviously people in prisons are and we've we've seen that happen you know big outbreaks in prisons in the past few months but that also sort of requires a state to say we want to prioritize people who are in prison over people who are elderly for example so that's a, really a political calculus as well uh, not just a simple you know risk number that scientists can calculate for you right something that's been really heartening so far is that there's been this has been a pretty apolitical reception that you have um you know donald trump saying he's willing to get it joe biden will get it anthony fauci will get it there isn't a party that is you know actively sowing distrust do you see a potential though once you start getting into these political decisions like you say that you know it could foster distrust and conspiracy theories and politicization that could you know drive down acceptance rates yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You, know, you mentioned that all the politicians have basically said they're going to get it. I, I hope Trump continues to say that. I hope he doesn't try to sow doubt once he's out of office. I also just think that it is a process where if you're already mistrustful of your government or already angry at your government for you know maybe some very legitimate reasons, given how not just the federal government, but many states have handled the pandemic and your state decides to allocate vaccines in a way that seems unfair to you or, you know, maybe makes it so it's not available to you until uh, several months later. Like, yeah, I mean, one way to think about getting vaccinated is that it protects you, of course, right? But the only way to end the pandemic is that if enough people get vaccinated that there's herd immunity, so the virus just simply stops spreading. And I think it can be helpful to think about it that way as well. It's It's not that we're just each individually trying to become immune because the vaccine is very good, but it's also not perfect. But it's actually, we're all trying to <laughs> together get to herd immunity. So, you know, the order, it's going to vary from place to place. It might not seem, you know, perfectly consistent, but ultimately it's not about the order. It's about getting enough people vaccinated. Right. And that enough, we're still, you know, just to contextualize very far from that, we have had millions of cases, but we've still only had, that we know of, like, less than 10%, a single-digit percentage of Americans have had a confirmed case. Mm -hmm. And the herd immunity, if you listen to to Anthony Fauci, he's putting it, we need to get, like, 75, 85% of people. That's a good impression. Was it? Oh, sorry, I just had some in my throat. And so that we're really, really far from, from that place where we could kind of just extinguish the virus, that collective action you're talking about sounds like uh, <laughs> a difficult, you know, that's that's still pretty far away, right? I mean, what kind of time scale are you thinking about right now? Yeah, the biggest bottleneck will probably just be, do we have enough vaccines available? Um, so assuming like if everything goes right and according to plan, I think we can start talking about that next summer. And that's actually also kind of good because the virus seems pretty seasonal, at least given our experience in our one year so far. Mm-hmm. So between the vaccine and between it getting warmer, people spending more time outside, um, I, I think we will probably see you know COVID rates going down quite a bit uh, in the late spring and summer. I can almost not bring myself to imagine it. Like I'm afraid to even think about it because I don't want to get my hopes up. It's on the one hand way too late. Like, so many people have died and so many more will in between now and then. So it is genuinely hard to feel 
purely joy about this, but Mm -hmm. there is another part of me that's just like, well, we've made it, you know, what, eight, nine months? Yeah. Like, we can make it another six, (laughs) you know? Like, I can do that. Now, if there's a deadline, I can plan and get through that. Like, we can totally get through that. But then again, what that's going to look like is going to be hard. Um, I I guess that's exactly what purgatory is about, huh? (laughs) Neither here nor there. You can't yeah, hope exactly. or just resign yourself completely <laughs> to hopelessness. It's you have to, you have to be in the middle. Um, okay, so we have gotten a lot of questions from listeners about the vaccine and about this kind of thing you're talking about, where we have to start adapting to this in between more and more, where some people we will be vaccinated, some others won't, and then the, all the rules change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they don't. I guess. Let me let me t- can I toss some questions to you from our listeners? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Here are some scenarios that that we're going to encounter in the next year. A lot of people will be having questions about this. Um, Here's a question from Mahaley. If one person is vaccinated and one person isn't, is it relatively safe for those two people to spend time together in person, one-on-one? And I don't know if this is a question for you, Sarah, or for Jim. It should be. It should be. From what we know right now, people are reliably developing antibody responses after infection and we are not seeing people get sick twice. We don't know that that will continue to hold through the course of next year. But yeah, it should be safe. And what we will need to know, we don't know that vaccinated people can't temporarily carry the virus, even if they're not sick. Um, You know, they're not going to become massive spreaders of this virus, but they might say for a day or two, um, have some virus that they could spread. It remains to be seen um, how much risk that vaccinated person might be uh, introducing to the unvaccinated person. Probably very, very low risk, but we can't rule it out just yet. Hmm. I hear you saying, is it relatively safe? Yes and no. Relative to what? Yeah. We should keep being careful until the data come in. If we start seeing reports of people who seem to have gotten sick from interacting with vaccinated people, then that will inform uh, those recommendations. We just don't know yet. We don't have these real life situations yet under our belts. Got it. So I okay. keep being careful. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I would say the other thing is the person who got vaccinated, are they a healthcare worker who is around COVID patients all the time? If that's the case, I think that's different than if they are just, you know, another person, right? Like I think yeah. this isn't like a question of what's totally safe. It's like, what is the risk given the uncertainty so far? Though likely that the vaccine will prevent um, transmission. Right. Got it. Okay, here's another one. Uh, Mary asks, I had COVID-19 last March. I've been donating plasma regularly, and I'm still testing positive for antibodies. Should I also get the vaccine? What is the recommendation? You probably don't need to get it right now, but once the vaccine is widely available, there's no reason not to get it. Uh, you know, there are a lot of questions about is vaccine-induced immunity better or natural immunity better? Um, kind of maybe overall generalization is that natural immunity is a lot more variable from person to person because it kind of depends on like maybe how much virus you got at the beginning, whereas uh, a vaccine, like everyone gets the same dose, right? Yeah. So vaccine immunity is just a lot more consistent. Um, if you happen to be a person who, you know, maybe did not have a great immune response, uh, sounds like maybe um, your listener did because they're still testing high for antibodies. Um, but if, you, if it's it's just like kind of a, a little extra consistency once the vaccine is widely available. Got it. That's a great point. 
to caveat what I said earlier, if you once tested positive for COVID but never got sick and you know haven't been tested for antibodies, then you shouldn't assume that you have immunity. The reliable immunity we're seeing is in people who've gotten sick. Okay. Mitch wrote in asking about COVID and pregnancy. His wife works in a rehab hospital that takes COVID-positive patients, and he says they're expecting to get the vaccine in the next couple of weeks. His wife is very ready to get it, but she's nursing. Assuming she is allowed to get it, what could be the possible risks? So I think um, maybe we can separate out pregnant and nursing, um, because the risks might actually be a little bit different. I think the risks with nursing, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, is uh, pretty low. We let nursing, actually pregnant and nursing women get flu vaccines and other vaccines. There's no reason to think that there's any particular risk. The FDA has said pregnant and nursing women can get it. They are kind of being extra super conservative because no pregnant women were in the clinical trials. But just given what we know about how vaccines work, uh, there's no reason to think that it will be particularly dangerous for them. And there is data to suggest that the risk of COVID when you're pregnant is higher. Okay. Amanda asks, how long will it be before kids can be vaccinated? Were kids included in these trials? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So kids, I think, as young as 12, are currently in clinical trials for Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine, but they were not included in these first clinical trials. And why weren't they? Um, Is that typical? Yeah, that's typical. You usually start with adults, um, and then if it's safe in adults, then you go down to kids. Um, I would maybe not expect kids to get vaccinated in the next year. Really? Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on how old the kids are, right? I think under 12, definitely not. Teens, possibly. So why is that? Tell me more about that. Uh, One is we just don't actually have the data on how well this vaccine works in kids, right? I mean, it probably will work just given how well it's working right now. But the other consideration, of course, is making sure that's safe in kids and the side effects, you know, uh, are well tolerated. Um, Well, what I mean, we just talked about how we don't have the data for pregnant women, but we think the... um Benefits outweigh the risks. What What's different yes. here with, with getting kids? to the risk? The risk okay, <laughs> which is that um, you know the benefits are unclear. They're probably there. They're unclear, but the risk to kids is just so much lower than for adults. That I think we want to make sure the benefits are very, very, very clear before we start getting into kids. Yeah, got it. So the so because kids have generally not really gotten that sick. Yeah, exactly. Maybe something that would help uh, give a little context for. All of these answers is understanding a little bit more about how the vaccine actually works. Um, We had a question from Nathan who said, I'm wondering if you would be able to discuss the technology behind the bio in tech and Moderna vaccines, what it means for the future of vaccines and what it means for future treatment of other diseases. I have been shocked speaking to learned friends who've stated they will not take the vaccine for a number of reasons, including fear of the new technology. Um, Yes, this is a new technology that they're using for vaccines that's never been used before. How does it work? And is there any reason to be concerned about it? Or especially optimistic, I guess, on the other hand. <laughs> so these are MRA vaccines. And yeah, it's right. It's a We've never had vaccines approved that are MRA vaccines before. Uh, but we've really had like years and years of research going into mRNA vaccines, uh, which is part of the reason we've been actually been able to get them out so quickly is that it really builds on like years and years of scientists in the lab um, trying to figure out sort of really minute details about how to make sure RNA does or doesn't elicit the right immune response. Um, So the way they work is that instead of 
injecting, you know, a weakened virus or inactivated virus or fragmented virus. This is what all our other vaccines are. Uh-huh. Um, you actually just inject a piece of mRNA, which codes for the spike protein of the virus. So it's kind of like uh, giving your immune system a, like a little wanted poster so that uh-huh. it actually sees a, a, the coronavirus, it can recognize it and kind of gear up into action right away. So yeah, it's true that we have not had vaccines that are made with mRNA before, but one of the advantages of mRNA is that you're not injecting an actual virus. So there's no way for you to get COVID from getting this vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, like that's actually like in some ways safer, right? Because you're not going to get COVID from getting this vaccine. All you're getting is this like one by itself harmless piece of protein that is being made in your body after mm-hmm. getting mRNA. I think the concerns around vaccines are usually around whether the vaccine kind of provokes a unexpected immune reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at this point, we've seen there's been tens of thousands of people in this clinical trial, right? So if this is happening in even 0.1% of people, we would have, have seen it by now. So we're not seeing very serious side effects in, mm-hmm. at all. And to, to be doubly clear, you, people are not being injected with the virus. They're not being injected with anything that could live on inside them. It's this temporary, fragile strand of RNA which can't hurt them. That if something does go wrong in that process, it would be some aberration of their immune system reacting to these proteins that our bodies make. That's where the, the variability is. There's no chance that that mRNA uh, <laughs> evolves into a, a, the virus itself or something like that. No, That's you know, it's just like one very, very small piece of the virus. So there's no way you're going to get like the whole virus just from getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. You said that very clearly, but I just wanted to doubly emphasize that because it's still probably like the, the leading misconception about why people don't get vaccines. They think they're getting injected with something dangerous. I really like Sarah's wanted poster analogy. It could even be considered like a, a wanted poster that self-destructs after a few days, but plants yeah. a memory. So like there's just nothing foreign inside your body uh, at all after that poster goes away. Yeah, it's like your body has committed it to memory and that's all it needs. Yeah. Okay. Andy asks, are the vaccines expected to be the kind that you take once and you're done or are they going to be yearly like the flu? The answer is, again, we don't know. But cool. <laughs> At least there's <laughs> consistency, you know? <laughs> right. That's the answer to all these questions. So given what we know about uh, people who get COVID and recover, it, the signs all seem to point to that immunity is quite durable. You're not going to get it again a month or a year. And if you do eventually get it again, it will be much less severe. So I think we can expect the same with vaccines. You might need a booster after some amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, but we just literally have to wait a year to see what immunity from a vaccine looks like a year from now. Got it. And will it be easier to, even if the, say it does become a once a year thing, we, there won't be another lockdown while we wait for the new vaccine, right? It's something that could be done more quickly? Yeah, because now the factories are built and Got it. infrastructure for getting a vaccine out. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Here's maybe one last question. Rochelle asks, in these trials, people were given either the vaccine or a placebo and then told to go live their lives and see if they get the virus. 
Aren't these trial participants going to be wearing masks, physical distancing, avoiding crowds, etc.? So how do we know that the vaccine is going to be effective for normal activities like in pre-pandemic times? How do we know the results aren't really good just because of the pandemic safeguards in place? Yeah, so what we do is we compare everyone in the trial, right? Like, and half the people got placebo and half people got the vaccine. So if half of the people who got COVID in the trial were in the placebo group, then you have a vaccine that did not work. But assuming that, you know, everyone in the trial mostly behaved the same, you can directly compare people who did not get the vaccine but got, you know, saline injection versus people who got the vaccine. And that looks really good, right? Like, um, I forget the exact breakdown cases, but almost all of the COVID cases were in the placebo group. So yes, real world conditions are different. Um, you know, it might be a case that uh, vaccines get a little too warm or people forget to get their second dose and you know, things like that happen in the real world. But the amazing efficacy we're saying is not because of people wearing masks. Mm-hmm. The vaccine's getting a little warm. <laughs> if uh, anything, the, eff- the efficacy should improve as uh, the virus becomes more rare. Right, right. But I guess the, the point is the calculation that's being done the way they get the 95% effective is not you living your normal life versus you distancing. It's you vaccinated versus you not being vaccinated. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that 95% of people who got the vaccine didn't get it. Actually a much, much smaller percentage of people, way fewer than 5% of people who got the vaccine actually got COVID. Right. The basic thing is it should hold up. Um, yeah. Do y'all remember normal activities? What's the first thing you're going to do, um, when real life returns? Eat indoors in a restaurant. (laughs) Eat indoors in a restaurant. Oh my God. Do you remember bars? I am someone who like absolutely hates crowds even before the pandemic, but even I have been like craving (laughs) like social contact with strangers. Like a sweaty bar late at night. (laughs) Like, I the illicit people. thrill of being a breathing in close proximity to many other people. Someone running into you, your elbow, and spilling your drink. Yeah, and you being like, "Oh, that's so even, annoying." They don't even notice, yeah. right? Yeah, like that. I can't wait to get annoyed at people in crowds again. Yeah, the subway it's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> Doing that thing where you have to like take a running start to get the momentum to squeeze yourself in the subway because it's so full oh you know you just have to hurl yourself in there and hope the doors close by the time you bounced up back out yeah that's unsafe that's how i did it oh. <laughs> um well i can't wait to crowd into some sort of space with all of you at some point can i i think this is an apt closing because there are these seven terraces of purgatory in Dante's book Purgatorio and the first is pride which is where we are right now and the second is envy which is what we'll be feeling possibly when some people we know are vaccinated and we are not mm-hmm. um, third is wrath which I hope we don't don't, don't get to feels um, like we've but, already but been there there may be some politicization and uh, and all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sloth, uh, where we might sort of get complacent and people are not getting vaccinated even though they're available. Like they're right around the corner at CVS and people mm-hmm. are, eh, you know, why do we? Um, then there's avarice, also doesn't necessarily apply, maybe. 
Um, but then the sixth is is gluttony, and the seventh is lust, and I think that's what we're describing when we talk about uh, eating in restaurants. I was hoping I could get through this entire conversation with no one bringing up theology or Dante. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll take a I'll take ending on gluttony and lust. Mm, gluttony and lust. Can't wait. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for spending the time, and I hope you have an excellent rest of the year. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again. But but what a beautiful thing! The beginning of the long end. Being in purgatory. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah, for all yeah, your work. Thank you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Okay, so Jim, I'm not going to make the mistake I made last time, which is I have scheduled for us a holiday break. Hmm. And I'm letting you know. Oh, wow. We're taking the next two weeks off. Two weeks? Two whole weeks. Okay. So we will be back on January 6th, after the new year. We will, we will talk again. For episode 100. Can we still talk? We just won't record it, or? No. Oh. It's probably healthy. Mm-hmm. For me. Everyone needs a change of pace, you know? Yep. Make some new friends, you know? It might, this might be an opportunity for you to make some new friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same to you. <laughs> All right. So so for everybody who's been with us this whole year, I, I mean, whatever. The, the, the turning of the year and the holidays is such an artificial, like, engineering of some sort of thoughtfulness or emotion. But, you know. No, it's not. It works. It works. It's so. perfect. It, it happens because of the winter solstice. Uh-huh. No, but the, the daylight and the heat and the promise of the seasonality that comes with summer and being outdoors and that coincides with this vaccination rollout. I mean, it's it's not incidental. I mean, I think it's a really, it is a, a moment to mark. When's the longest day of the year? Or the shortest day of the year? The shortest day of the year is on the 21st. So okay. I've honestly been counting down the days to that. And I see it as a probable moment to, you know, really appreciate things regardless of your faith or culture or denomination or whatever um or your position on new year's eve which is the worst holiday <laughs> why do you say that because you have to stay up late because <laughs> your bedtime is, is past your bedtime it's just like the, it's the night that all the amateurs go out you know it's true true <laughs> anyway um well yeah that is a lovely thing to mark and for everybody who's been listening we really appreciate all of your questions and you sort of accompanying us along this weird, weird time. And um, yeah, I, I hope everybody gets a little bit of a break. I know it's, you know, for a lot of people, this is the height of the pandemic. So <sighs> I don't know. Hang in there. Hang in there. And I hope uh, some of you at least can have a little rest over the next couple of weeks. And we'll be back. Uh, uh, there will be plenty to discuss as the vaccine rolls out and as we learn more. So we'll keep talking, but just in January. Great. Okay. Kevin, I think you should do the credits because you've been, you know, the mastermind of, of this show for so long. And you should say goodbye to the listeners. Oh, God. Send them off to, to the holidays. Into the purgatory. <laughs> that, sounds, uh, that sounds so final and dark in its own way. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, this show today was produced by me, Kevin Townsend. We also have a new senior producer, AC Valdez, whose name you'll be hearing in the credits from now on. Um, please write us at socialdistance at theatlantic.com. 
We've gotten so many great questions from listeners and we got that lovely voicemail. You can leave us one at 202-642-6487. And if you like the show and want to read all of the Atlantic's journalism, the best way is by subscribing at theatlantic.com slash support us. Um, happy holidays and happy new year, y'all. And if anyone out there needs something to listen to while we're away, if you haven't listened to Floodlines yet, please do. It's really wonderful. Thanks, Jim. And you can hear Catherine's voice on it. <laughs> if you haven't had enough. If you're like, really, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Yes, there's another great podcast that we put together in a very different style called Floodlines. And if you need something to listen to, uh, check it out. All right. Talk to y'all in uh, next year. <laughs> Good news, 2020. Get out of here. Over. Okay. It's bye. over. 2021. Okay, bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.